Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Whether you are consulting, working as an employee, or even building a product, you've probably heard about technical debt. Most developers use the term to describe a variety of phenomena in a way that isn't particularly helpful for really understanding what's going on in an organization. Also, because previous developers may have used the term in an unhelpful way, management may not take the issue seriously enough. In addition, if you are in a management position yourself, you may find it difficult to really understand the type of technical debt in your organization. Regardless of who you are, technical debt represents an issue that you need to understand in order to be effective. In this episode, we're going to discuss some other ways to understand the problem that may help you and your team have better discussions around it. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, um, my wife and my daughter are out of town and we'll be, it's Thursday night now. They'll be back, I think, late Saturday night. Um, They're at the beach with the in-laws and they do this every year. And so I get to kind of be a bachelor for uh, you know a week or so, which it turns out that after you're like 35 or so, like you don't really do anything. Speak you for know? yourself, bro. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I haven't really watched any TV. I haven't gone out and done anything. Um, I've mainly just worked. Um, although I do have a uh, one gallon jar of kimchi fermenting on the counter right now because <laughs> I wanted some and didn't have any and, the stuff at the grocery store is too mild. So I got the ingredients and made some because I could. Like, that's where we are right now. So right. how about you? Well, um, speaking of bachelor pads, being a bachelor, my place smells like bacon and turpentine. <laughs> I, I paint a lot and I made bacon the other day and it still kind of lingers. But uh, I've been doing a lot of training lately been looking into open ID connect and OAuth 2 with .NET Core. It's really cool. I've been tasked with learning it and then training the API team on it. I'm kind of liking it, but there's a lot of older information out there, which is funny because .NET Core hasn't been out that long. The info that I was given of, hey, here's how to do it, figure it out and and get a, a working model, like proof of concept out, was written for .NET Core 1.0. So I, I go through the material, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to get going. I, I hop in there and I start working on it and everything's deprecated. So uh, I've, I've been finding my own trainings. I went through some today, had some fun issues with, with that, uh, but it's, it's really cool. I'm, I'm getting a lot out of it. I am gearing up to head down to Chattanooga tomorrow. So what Will said about you know, people after 35 not doing anything. I, I completely disagree with because I'm always on the go. Uh, my sister has been in town all week and it's really nice to see her and my niece and nephew, but I didn't realize just how busy my life has gotten until she was here and be like, hey, what are you doing? I'm at the gym. Well, 
do you, do you want to go grab a beer later? Oh, I can't. I've got, you know, my small group. All right. Next day. Hey, what are you doing? I'm at the gym. She tends to call me when I'm at the gym. I, I don't know. I go right after work. So, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, I've got this going on. And <laughs> it's just, I, I didn't realize how busy I was until like, cause you don't notice it when you're just, it's just your weekly thing. Uh, it, it's it's kind of cool. It has been nice. I, I go by and see him. I'll have like lunch with him or, or something like that. And then we're all going down to Chattanooga tomorrow. I'm uh, going to stay the night in the uh, train car hotel. So it's really cool. But uh, I think we're, we're calling it book club is what we've decided. So we're going to head on into book club. Elements of Computing Systems starts with a chapter on Boolean logic. This first half of the book is really about building the hardware for a computer. Since all computing boils down to switches between on and off, the first two chapters look at Boolean logic and arithmetic. Building on that, the next chapters talk about how that's organized into sequential logic. In these chapters, you'll be building a virtual computer chip. Chapter 4 talks about the way that low-level chip is programmed using machine language. And then the final chapter in the hardware section puts it all together to build a general-purpose computer. It's, it's really cool. As you follow along, you get to build this computer. Um, and I'll have a link to the book in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got an iTunes review from Wizard Kevin one says, love the show. I just changed from accounting to CS in school and was looking for a podcast to supplement my learning and stumbled across CDP. These guys have a natural chemistry, and it's so fun to hear them cover interesting topics. While their shows are structured and packed with info, I also really appreciate the side banner and stories. It makes for a really fun listening experience. If you guys ever make it out to Portland, beer's on me. Kevin, that's awesome. Um I know Seattle and Portland are both on my list of places to to visit. Uh, you know, they're they're kind of close together there compared to their distance from where I am to them. So <laughs> um, that chemistry comes from knowing each other since we were in college many moons ago. Um, yeah, we don't want to say how long. Yeah. But uh, welcome to the world of computer science. It's it's really awesome. Send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Uh, guys, if you have not received a water bottle, I sent them out this afternoon before we started recording. Uh, so it's been a few weeks long enough between when we recorded this and when it comes out that you should have received it. If not, send me an email to that email address again, that is waterbottle at complete developer podcast.com. And I'll make sure that you get one. Uh, if you'd like a complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can check us out each week where we do a live show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube and talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Technical debt is everywhere. If you find an organization without it, they either don't have any code, they are lying, 
or they are about to go bankrupt. Some degree of technical debt is inevitable in just about any organization. Furthermore, if you're starting a new position or trying to get control of organizational technical debt, you need to know something more than there is a lot of technical debt here. Like actual financial debt, sometimes technical debt is undertaken for a very good reason, and sometimes, like your Uncle Larry taking out credit card debt to buy lottery tickets, it's taken on for a bit more dubious purposes. So it's my understanding that you have to pay cash for lottery tickets. So I guess you have to take out like a cash advance from the credit card. (laughs) There's people that do that. A higher interest rate. So regardless, to make good decisions at any level from junior developer to CIO, you need to both be aware of technical debt and have a realistic ability to get rid of the bad technical debt before it becomes a problem. Like financial debt, there are a lot of reasons it occurs, problems it creates, and strategies for getting rid of it. Depending on the type of debt, a variety of different strategies may be applicable. We're going to talk about some types of technical debt and how to best get rid of them. So we're going to start off by giving some classifications or ways of thinking about your debt. Yeah, so there's multiple axes to consider here. It's sort of like regular debt that you have you know, in your, in your personal life. Uh, and the first of these is the reason for the debt. Um, at one end is debt that is used to purchase a revenue-generating resource that's like taking out a loan so you can get a metal lathe so that you, know, you can run a shop, right? That's a debt that you take on so that you can make money, presumably, from it. Um, At the other end, there's debt that is used to purchase something that generates an expense. Uh, This might be something like taking out a loan for an expensive yacht. Yeah, because you also have to, you know, dock that yacht and maintain that yacht. Yeah. Keep the hippies off of it, you know, wash the the deck after the hippies get on there. You know, it's just, it's a lot of work. (laughs) Um, The next is the interest on the debt. You always pay the price. The question is how. At the low end, the price is low and can be handled indefinitely. Yeah. Like if I owe you five bucks for um, a very small cup of coffee at Starbucks, right? Like you're going to nag me about it, but you're not going to really get that angry probably for a minute <laughs> at least compared to the bank being owed five million. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking... You can't really get a cup of coffee at Starbucks for five bucks. bucks. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm just thinking about, yeah, because here's the thing. I think of, like, you and I have this situation where, you know, sometimes we'll be out and you'll be like, oh, I got got the check. And sometimes I'll get the check. And, And I've got a couple other friends that are like that, too, where we don't really keep track of who... Who owes who what? It's just, oh, you know, I haven't gotten the check in a while. Let me just grab it. Now, on the other side of that, at the high end, the price is ruinous and stops spending on everything else. And a lot of people are in that place, um, even with productive debts, right? Like a student loan debt, for instance, or a mortgage or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, if If the interest is high enough, it does. It just chokes out everything else that you're doing. Now, the... That plays into the next piece, which is your ability to discharge the debt. And this you know, is analogous to the amount of debt, but sometimes you get into technical debt that's really hard to get rid of. Um, and so 
you have to evaluate how easily you can get out from under the debt. Uh, you know, at the low end, this is you know work that takes less than an hour. Uh, at the high end, this requires a total system rewrite or a new company, for that matter. Potentially, now, I've I have seen uh, where a project got into some technical debt because they didn't understand the business requirements. Yep, and then and this was doing some consulting, and then they got a little further along and. Like they they tried to code around it and built more and more technical debt, you know, basically like uh, transferring debt from credit card to credit card. Yeah, uh, and it, it just it just sort of started compiling, and it, it got to the point where they did they they went from something that wouldn't have been too difficult to fix at the time to we have to re redesign our entire data model. Yeah. Or just completely redo the business because sometimes you undertake technical debt and you become contractually obligated to keep it. Yes. And that's an ugly one, too. I don't know if you've seen that one. I've mm, seen it in a couple places where they've they've had some big client that, you know, they did something in a bad way. The big client started depending on it, and now they can't change it even though it's a real bad idea. I've heard of that, but I have not actually seen that in practice. Yeah. Now. The next factor to consider is the consequences of not paying the debt. Yeah. Like, what happens if you ignore the problem? Yeah. And at the low end, you know, ignoring an issue has no discernible impact, right? And this is the thing that a lot of developers, when they say that we have technical debt, there's a lot of times that they're saying it because they don't like the way the code is, even though mm-hmm. it's not really doing any damage. At the other end of that, the company ceases to exist, you know, that's equivalent to, hey, I borrowed a bunch of money from the mob and now I get to see how long I can hold my breath while I'm wearing concrete shoes. Um, that's not the kind of situation you want to be in. Yeah. I also think about um, some debts, you know, going back to the financial thing, some debts can be released in a bankruptcy. Other debts, like student loans, cannot. Yeah. I would almost say a system rewrite is a bankruptcy. Yeah. It's, it's, a lot it is kind of like that. No. Yeah. And the final factor we're going to talk about is lost opportunity. At the low end, the debt isn't damaging your future prospects. Right. And at the high end, it's sabotaging your market opportunities and costing you clients. So now that we've kind of established that, throughout this episode, we're going to use some metaphors. Uh, Big surprise, Will wrote the episode. From real world debt that might help you discuss it more intelligently with your team. Be prepared for some willisms because I'm sure there's some in here. Uh, there are. We'll, <laughs> we'll discuss these types of debt in reverse order of priority. So that means the the lowest priority debt first going up to the largest priority uh, with the hopes that doing it this way will help you decide what debt you need to tackle first. And, and before we get into it, I, I I, I want to talk about uh, there are a couple of different ways of tackling debt. There's the concept of you know, pay off the lowest one first and then take that money and throw it into the next one. Like uh, I think I call Dave it the Ramsey. Dave Ramsey approach. Yeah. Yeah. Snowball it. But there's another approach that looks at the high, the higher interest rate and gets that one first and then gets, gets down to where most of them have similar interest rates and then does that snowball effect. Right, which is more mathematically sound. Yes. So, but there's there's a couple of different ways of tackling the debt. That's not really what we're getting into. We're we're talking about 
how to assess it and understand it. So I would say the lowest one is something similar to, again, buying a piece of equipment, uh, a metal lathe or, uh, you know, in our industry, you know, a computer to work Mm -hmm. on and going into a little bit of debt because it's a productive asset. So if you took on technical debt to take advantage of a opportunity in the market, it isn't costing you much. You can get out of it easily and it creates opportunities. It's probably one of the last ones you should discharge. When I was going through this on the the low end, there were two things that came to mind. Uh, the first one was when I bought my laptop. Of course, I didn't go into debt for that. I saved up and, and bought it. But if I had gone into debt for it, that would be one of those ones. The other one is my furniture. Yeah, because you kind of need a place to sit. Yeah. So the thing with the furniture is I was able to get it at a no interest for 12 months. So I could have bought it outright. But that allowed me to use that money for something else. Part of it was just put into savings and you know accumulated interest, but you know, allowed me to use that money for something else. And I can slowly pay on it over the course of a year. And then pay it off. And it'll be paid off uh, by November. And I ha- will have paid the exact same amount as if I had paid it off at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing about a lot of debt is sometimes debt is used just to smooth out cash flow. Yeah. And that's a really good example of that. And this is the kind of debt you should ideally be choosing if you're taking on technical debt. Almost nobody is talking about this when they use the term technical debt because they don't notice it if it's like this. It is easily justifiable to pay this debt since it's making you money. Now, an example of this in code might be using a third-party component suite that you know it has some wrinkles just so that you can get a prototype out. The thing will still work, but may not be what you would choose if you had unlimited options, unlimited funds, unlimited time. It just it gets it done and now you can actually start dealing with the rest of the system because you managed to get past a milestone. Well that's like um what I was talking about earlier when this learning the OAuth 2 and OIDC, we're not going to be using social media. Like we're not going to be using Facebook to log in, but I used that because that was what the tutorial had and it helped me learn the parts and the pieces for it for my sample proof of concept that I could go, Hey, here's how it works. Now give me access to you know, the, the vendor that we're going to be using, because now I've shown you that I can build it. Let me have access to, to their dev site so I can go in and do this. Pay, pay for me an account to get in there to do this because I've proved I could do it with a free one. So the next one up on the list is inheriting a functioning business that needs a small loan for expansion and being able to get said loan. So, for instance, if you took on technical debt for a brief period to get past a problem so that you can capitalize on an opportunity and then having made that opportunity work, you can pay the debt back. This is a lot more like what a business person hears when developers say technical debt. This is also an acceptable kind of debt, which is why they don't understand your concern. Not many people are talking about this kind of debt either, but this is how many interpret Yeah. So like if you're talking to a non-technical manager about technical debt, they're sitting there going, well, yeah, we took on debt so that we can have growth. 
Mm-hmm. And it's gonna it's gonna get paid off by the growth and by the money coming in. What's your problem? Do you not understand the math? That's kind of that's how managers that are non technical hear this when we say it. Now, because of the short term nature of this debt, it's actually a reasonable way to move forward if you have to do it. Um, and I'll give an example from this last week. I needed to test uh, restful endpoints and needed to be able to save the JSON payloads going back and forth and have it look up some stuff to fill mm-hmm. in the JSON. So it was, it was too complex for Postman. Yeah. And I stood up a WinForms app in about four and a half hours that has got some dynamic .NET programming in there that I do not want to show to other people. Um, but it allowed me to test some very complex workflows to get that done, to get past a, you know, an end of sprint, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is kind of an example of this sort of short-term technical debt. Is the code something that I would want to use in production for other people and be judged by? Probably not, um, but it did work. You know, another example is hard coding something in, and um, you have an example here in the outline, but I think of something I'm working on right now. I'm rewriting something that was written by a business analyst. It was code. Uh, auto IT is the the language. Code written by a business analyst for for file transfers, like low level stuff, written by someone who is not a developer, honestly. And from the perspective of this person does not know development, they're not experienced in this. It's really impressive. Yeah, like what what he built is really impressive, but. There are a lot of hard-coded things in there. And as I was looking at that, looking for finding the business rules in there, there were, there were a couple of things because it was written for one particular division and then expanded to be used by multiple divisions. Well, I, I just followed the flow of the, the original division and it had some unique uh, business logic in there that in other things they weren't using. And I built that in because that's, what, that's the way it was built. It was hard-coded in. So then when we got to testing, they were like, oh, hey, this shouldn't be doing it this way. And it was, it was one of those things. It was like, that was some technical debt that he put in there because he built it for a very specific reason. And he was planning on having someone else who was a developer come back and, and change it. Um, and it ended up getting used for you know, a couple of years. And now I'm coming back and he's not even working with us anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Another good example, too, is stuff like you know, password resets. I've seen startups that will build an app and they set up a hard-coded password reset process that the new password is always, you know, like Bob 1984. Mm-hmm. And then you, you go in and you change your password. So it's like it's insecure, but it's they're doing a proof of concept. It's not on the open Internet right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of normal. So the next level is buying a piece of real estate that you can rent out with a low interest rate. Similar to the previous, uh, buying an asset that makes you money is not a bad idea. This sort of debt is usually acceptable provided that you can get a return on it, right? Like if if I can make a million dollars for you giving me a half million dollars, I can get that half million dollars, generally mm-hmm. speaking, if I could prove that I can make that million. That's, that's a no-brainer. While the debt is large, this sort of debt also comes with a large asset that you can sell off to get out of the problem. That reminds me of something that one of our guests said about having certain trusted people that 
can come to him and say, Hey, I've got an idea. And he just lets him go with it. Yeah. And, and that's sort of what this is. It's like, all right, what do you need? Okay. Let me give it to you. And I trust you. You've, you've proved yourself before. Uh, that's sort of like where this, this low interest rate kind of thing. It's like, you're, you're a low interest rate investment because I know you will return on it. Now, and, and while, you know, this is a larger debt than the, the metal lathe that we were talking about before, right? Like it's, you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket. Um, and it might be something more along the lines of using a really bulky framework for the first pass at building an application. Um, if the app doesn't provide the results you want, you might dump it or pivot to something else. So it doesn't have to be optimized from the get-go, right? That's kind of what we're looking at here. It's okay. Yeah. You're taking on a lot of technical debt, but you're getting something out the door. The, the next level is buying clothes so that you can interview for a better job. Now we're getting into what a lot of programmers mean when they say technical debt. This is a small piece of debt taking on to facilitate a larger gain because you know, you're not going to get anything from the clothes themselves. It's usage of those clothes. It's, it's further down from them and they will depreciate their own value, but it's how you use them that can gain you value. The thing about it is if it fails, you're still stuck with the debt or the asset at a greatly reduced value. Right. And so an example of this might be something like writing a hacky wrapper interface for a third-party API so that you can meet a deadline. If you build on this debt, in other words, you accrue interest, its cost can easily outstrip that of buying it outright. In other words, doing it correctly in the first place, but might still be small enough to tolerate for a while. I've seen some stuff that is running and has run for 20 plus years and is hacky as crap and is a constant struggle to maintain, but it doesn't kill the organization. I've, I've seen some stuff like that too, where it's, it's been around for a yeah, long time. Yeah, you're at the time. state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen some stuff too, where it's been around for a long time. And uh, yeah, it, it, and the problem is it's, it, was never rebuilt or, oh, hey, we need to add this. So it was just like added on. They didn't have, they really didn't have someone looking at the overall picture going, all right, we need to to design our add-ons and, and build it. It's just, we need this, we need this now. And so it had to get done. So the next one, the next example might be something like buying a house so that you have a place to live. And this is where you take out a big chunk of debt on an asset that usually appreciates. You may have some annoying terms taking this one on. Uh, this sort of debt also comes with a lot of other ongoing expenses, but you're toast if you don't have it. If this debt fails to produce, it may do so in a way that means you lose big when you're getting rid of it. Um, and an example of this is tight integration with a large third-party application. Uh, while this may help you get a product market, it will be a major pain when you have to decouple it later. Right. So like if you're hooking into some product that Google releases and it hits the end of its four-year life cycle and Google decides to dump it and you were centered around that product. And there there have been people that have done that, right? Like with Hangouts. I know people that were using the Hangouts API and that's going away. Yep. Um, and they're tightly coupled into it. And they're going to lose their high end unless they rewrite. That's this kind of debt. Now, let's go on to the next one. This one's even more fun. 
taking out a loan due to a medical emergency. So in this case, you're taking out a loan as an alternative to very serious permanent injury or death. I've, I've been in situations where I had to take out a loan to pay off medical emergencies. Yeah. Where it was like, you, you know, um, you go in and you just got to deal with it. And the asset being protected by this kind of technical debt is the ability to survive at all, um, even if the cost is completely ruinous. Mm-hmm. In addition to the cost of the debt, the situation that caused the debt may still be around for a while, making it harder to pay. Yeah. I mean, going with that example, you still have recovery time. You still have time to to get back up and going. And in the technical world, I mean, legitimately, let's look at it. Let's say that you or I had a medical emergency and we're we're both in positions where we're not on the the bleeding edge. We're not right on the forefront in our jobs, but let's say we were, we had a medical emergency, you know, that's at least a week or so of completely nothing. And then, you know, maybe another six weeks to six months of recovery time. And by that point in time, the bleeding edge has moved several times and we're way behind. And an example of this from a programming context might be um, having a regulatory requirement that you missed in an enterprise environment. So you missed, I don't know, Sarbanes-Oxley or you missed um, GDPR or it didn't it didn't work like you thought it did. And to be compliant, you have to drop everything, write a bunch of scripts, hook into Microsoft Access, you know, do all kinds of just weird stuff, you know, that's cobbled together to get the system to stay alive, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take a long time to get rid of that hacked together system because now, in addition to needing to fix it, you're limping along. Now, the next one is one that I am all too familiar with, and that is taking out debt as a student loan so that you're able to get a job that is capable of servicing the debt. Or at least hopefully. Yeah. This is a potentially massive chunk of debt. Um I don't know if I'd use the word potentially, really. It is a massive chunk of debt. Well, people's Um, definition of massive changes, (laughs) right? Yeah. And it's not an asset, um, at least not a transferable one. It's also the first of the really unacceptable ones in terms of the technical debt. Like, you can't escape this. Uh, Once you're in it, it's going to be unbelievably difficult to get out of it, and the debt will continue to grow. This is something like student loans you can't get out of with a bankruptcy. Right. At least so far. I think that's going to change longer term. But yeah, for right now, especially in the US, it's um, it's not good. And, and another thing too, with that, like you may take out loans and get halfway through and leave and you didn't get the degree, you didn't finish, but you still got the loans. You still got the debt. So there's, there's a lot of risk with this. Yeah, and your real hope is that it creates opportunities that allow you to discharge the debt. And so you'll see this with a lot of companies where they'll push out a large project with no automated testing or no testing at all in the hopes that they can quickly get a company like Google or Amazon or Microsoft to buy them out and then use that company's resources to test the stuff. Now, sometimes it works, but most of the time what happens is it doesn't work and they'll still double down on it. 
mm-hmm. this gets really speculative really quickly. And I mean, there's student loans in the U.S. that are that way too, right? Um, it's one thing if you're going to be a doctor. It's another thing if you're going to get a, a really expensive art degree and try to cover that as an artist. Like that's a whole nother can of worms. It's really hard to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I would think the same thing would be for for a lot of industries where it's not a very high baseline pay. Right. Like, like with art and music, sports even, even if you're going into to that realm, you know, most where are most coaches they're at, you know, the high school level, right? Maybe smaller colleges, but like the the high paying coaches, like the high paying those jobs are are very rare. And the thing with it is, you know, it. I was having a conversation the other day about music and talking about some of our favorite bands and stuff. And like one one of the guys pointed out, he's like, because he asked me if I played, and I was like, yeah, I'm learning to play guitar, but I'm nowhere near that level. He's like, you have to understand, those guys are the top of the top of the top. You know, we we're we're talking like you know Slash and and other like major guitar players, but. You know, it's like, he's like, they're the top of the top. They're, they're amazing. They're the best of the best. It's like these guys playing, we're listening to uh, my friend's band that they do a lot of covers. It's like, these guys are really great. Like they're, they're better than most musicians because they're out playing, but you know, it's to, to make it at that high level in some areas. Yeah. That's, that's where this, these student loans become a, like this concept becomes a problem is when you have to look at all right what is what is the lowest return i'm going to get on this investment so to speak right you know you, you almost have to break down and and analyze what is the maximum upside i can get and what's the maximum downside i can mm-hmm. get because again this is it's like low end speculation at this point and that right. that's why this is sort of the line where technical debt starts really getting out of hand which leads us right into the very next one, which is taking out a loan to gamble or speculate. This includes cryptocurrency. This is the kind of technical debt that developers really, really seem to like for some reason. The cost is constantly escalating and it's very subject to sunk cost fallacy. In addition, escaping this debt means paying it back in full just to get back to where you started. Your only hope on this is that you are right and you get a huge payoff because otherwise you're three years into med school and drop out. And an example of this from our realm is resume-driven development on a large critical system using either a beta Microsoft framework, a new hipster JavaScript framework, or a Google product that has been around for more than four years. Right. Because all of those things die or change massively. And if you're dependent on them in a deep way and you did it because, oh, this is the new cool thing and you built a large critical system on it. Now you've you've got to scramble to handle it. Mm -hmm. And the upside potentially was probably pretty low compared to the downside. The next one is something that we can all relate to. And that is not changing your oil because you're always in a hurry and having to buy a new car prematurely. And I say all of us can can relate to. But we all know that person because yeah. we've all given a ride to that person yes. from the oil change or from the, you know, from the mechanic. You know, like you, you pull up and you pick them up and their car is like smoking in the parking lot. And they're standing there looking confused. Like, I don't know how this happened. And you're like, when did you change your oil last? And they're like, uh, 
you know, like, I don't know, like, like, like Bush was president. I don't know. <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. You know, like everybody's given a ride to that person at some point if they haven't been that person. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of technical debt that your idea guy in quotes, you know, your idea guy CEO really likes. Uh, it's not speculative so much as it is negligent due to other concerns. Escaping this debt means not only fixing the debt itself, but usually significant additional opportunity cost, demoralizing staff, just lots of bad things. You know, there is no hope with this kind of technical debt. You can only hope to not be in the car when the brakes go out. Developers are usually talking about this because they don't want to be steering when the whole thing hits the wall. Right, because if a company just completely disintegrates in a spectacular fashion that everybody hears about, and it's because of technical debt, and you're the software architect, guess what? That's not good, even though your decisions probably were forced from higher up. An example of this is continuing to ship new code with ancient frameworks that have known security, stability, or support problems simply because you're chasing the next sale. Eventually, a reckoning happens, and you can't get a sale. Yeah, I mean, this is this is how you get these major breaches. And I mean, I've made a few friends in the security realm. One of the benefits of being back in school is a lot of people that are kind of really into the security stuff have a master's level. So I've I've gotten to spend some time with them and I've heard some stories about not the companies they work for, but their clients. Yeah. I've heard some of those too. Like you hang out with security guys long enough and you're like, yep, I'm going to be Amish. Yeah. Right. Like I'm out. (laughs) You know, 16th century, that's where it was. There was no hack or you got hacked. It's you were in pieces. Right. (laughs) Right. Like it wasn't, they don't have your bank account. You're just done. You know, that seems better. Like after you talk to security professionals for a while, especially drunk ones, Um, just yeah. Personal experience on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one is inheriting a mansion in a state of disrepair and trying to fix it up so that you can live in a mansion. And now this so, is the kind of technical. Hang on, wait a second. Okay. So this reminds me of something that I don't know if it's still going on, but went on a few years ago over in the UK, uh, especially around Scotland, is they had a lot of castles for sale for really, really cheap. Mm-hmm. The reason they had castles for sale for really, really cheap is they were not up to code and they had passed new standards that required the owners to get them up to a certain level for historic purposes. Right. And so you could get a castle in Scotland for, you know, real cheap. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars here, real cheap, but you were going to spend multi millions fixing it up. Right. Because it was just like, hey, let's get rid of this asset. And mm-hmm. you'll see this with like yesterday's idea guy gets into this today. So the guy that was a good programmer 20 years ago and gets out of it and becomes an idea guy will push solutions that were really cool when they were in, but now are just completely untenable. Uh, yep. This debt is really, really hard to get out of, both because of the cost and the emotional attachment to a bad idea. This gets a lot worse when a particular approach was very successful in the past. Yeah. I, um, I worked with, uh, a, a higher up who was obsessed with uh, certain ways of storing data. And I don't want to go into the details of that, but 
it, let's just say it was, you know, it should be stored this particular way with like this formatting and these things. It's like that, that might've been the case, you know, back in the COBOL days. Oh, like putting the word yes in for true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. But yeah. you know, it's, it's like just really, really old school thinking. It's like, that's not the way databases work anymore. That's not the way code works anymore. But it worked back then, and the person had moved out of the that into more of a management and then an ideas role. And uh, not a bad person, had some amazing ideas, but the ideas on like the implementation, like when she got into how to implement it, was like, hey, let us let us do what we know. You know, don't don't tell us how to do the implementation. Give us your idea and let us figure out the implementation because that's what our job is. Right. And and that yeah, that that's where I, I, I can totally see this from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, I've seen stuff with this where you'll have a manager that will say, Hey, we need to have comments everywhere in the code. And every time you change something, I want you to comment with your name and the reason and the date in line in the code. And that sounds okay until you realize what happens when you majorly refactor something. What do you do with those comments when you deleted that all the stuff around it and completely reorganized it? And they couldn't understand that we have source control now. And mm-hmm. that's where those go. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, another problem with this is that this kind of technical debt also has the fun side effect of running off anybody who could actually discharge it. So it, true. Yeah, because it keeps the Dead Sea effect because everybody feels hopeless when they deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. An example of this might be building enterprise software in classic in classic Visual Basic today from the start. You know, back in the day, it was great-ish. I mean, I worked in it, so there, there were some wrinkles and stuff, but for getting stuff out quickly, it was great. Um, but it is way past its sell-by date, even if you personally can code really well in it. I can I can see that because I I work with a couple of people that can code. They're amazing with SQL and Visual Basic. Kind of lacking in their C sharp skills. Are good with the older stuff, but you get into some of the newer things, and it's like, eh, uh, it's like I'll, I'll I'll ask some questions, and it's like uh, I didn't even know that was possible. Right, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. So the the next one is <laughs> borrowing from the mob so you can maintain your crack habit and pay off your payday loans. <laughs> yeah. So this is more like the perfect storm of technical debt, right? Not only is this debt taken out for drastically stupid reasons, but it's doubling down on previous stupidity. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there's going to be some willisms in this episode. Yeah. So uh, this debt is really, really painful, probably fatal to get out of one way or the other, right? Because if they mm-hmm. drop the crack, they die. If they don't pay off the mob, they definitely die. And if they don't pay off their payday loans, they go broke. And then the mob kills them because they can't pay off the mob. Right. Um, so like they're, they're toast no matter how it goes. And not and- only is this... And not only is this kind of technical debt hopeless, but the consequences may land on anyone unlucky enough to just be nearby. Right. So if you're a development manager or you're a junior dev and you come into a company that has this yeah. kind of stuff going on, you're going to lose your job mm-hmm. at some point. Or um, you've got a personal laptop in the building because you're going to a coding thing after work 
and the FBI raids the office and they take your laptop because the company is really, really in trouble. And, you know, they've missed regulatory stuff. They've really screwed up in a bad way. Um, you know, that, that can happen. You can be sitting right there and this land on you. Um, an example of this is lacking a private key infrastructure and sending sensitive data around um, in contravention of regulatory requirements with a trivially guessable key, hoping you don't get caught. And there are companies out there that still do stuff. I mean, like sending passwords in email, you know, like I've heard for, of that. Yeah. Yeah. For like data, like, you know, DBO level, you know, database passwords on production systems. And that that's a real thing. And the reason they can't not do that is because they haven't set up the infrastructure to do anything else and still be effective, right? It's a technical debt at an organizational level. Um, I worked at a company years ago that wanted me to send sensitive medical data as a batch job, roll it up, put it in a text file and send it over email as a transport channel, unencrypted. And I told them no. Yeah, as you said. Uh, yeah, because they didn't have any infrastructure to deal with, hey, how are we going to encrypt data when it hits a location and oh yeah we don't have any you know we don't have secure ftp hmm. and we don't have you know any other way to get data in here or we don't want to teach the clients how to do it properly or we don't want to code it properly where we can do that and so instead of doing that they were trying to do something that was illegal and yeah. would have resulted in some pretty major things now this company had a lot of other issues too and you know they don't exist anymore um, but that's what this kind of debt is. It's like, I don't want to do the right thing. And because I didn't do the right thing, I'm going to do the wrong thing to cover over the fact that I didn't do the right thing before. And then it's going to snowball and it does it really, really fast. So the top level maximum debt we're going to talk about is the national debt. This is exorbitant debt taken out without any thought of repayment. This debt assumes that consuming a free lunch is a productive economic activity. Right. And so, I mean, this, like you'll see companies that, that actually engage in behavior that sounds a lot like this, even though this sounds ridiculous, yeah. um, especially in the startup space, you know, they're going to make a new social network to compete with Facebook. Right. And they're doing all these things and they're building up a unbelievable amount of technical debt. They're probably taking on a lot of real debt. Um, they're, they're making decisions that they just simply cannot get out of. Uh, this can be everything from vendor contracts to using weird programming approaches. Oh, Hey, I'm going to do this in some, you know, weird edge case language that only, uh, you know, 15 programmers in Kazakhstan understand because it's cool and cutting edge and then they're stuck. So not only is this debt hopeless, but it's so common that nobody even worries about it because it hasn't resulted in fiery ruin yet. Like when this debt gets called in, you're just done. Yeah, this, uh, this is like company goes down. Done. Yeah. Or, you know, multiple companies go down or, you know, an entire industry suddenly gets regulated because, you know, some three letter agency has realized these people are complete morons and we have to go in. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, <laughs> that happens. Yeah, and it did to us. Uh, Y2K was a good example of that, right? And everybody goes, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that big of a deal because everybody got off their butt and went in yeah. and fixed it. And there were systems that went down after that. It just wasn't air traffic control and you know nuclear missile silos. It was like the inventory system at the oil company. You know, yeah. It's stuff that you can recover from. But 
systems went down on that. Uh, we make the assumption every day, and we're going to have to stop making it pretty soon, and a lot of companies already are, that Moore's Law is always going to be there, right? So we build a system with the fastest hardware we can, and okay, it's a little slow on the developer machine, but it does the job. And by the time the software is out, you know, a commodity desktop is at the developer speed, and a good desktop is way better, so we'll be okay. Well, what happens when you hit a physical limit to what the processor can do? That software's slow forever. And yeah. you, you know, this is the area of technical debt where we live on assumptions until we can't survive the assumptions. Uh, originally, we, I say we, but like the our predecessors did not build this way. No, they didn't. They couldn't get away with it. Yeah, it wasn't moving. It, it, it's, it's exponential growth and it wasn't moving as fast back then. I'm talking like back in the 70s and 80s. Right. You know? Well, and the hardware was really expensive too. So it, you couldn't make the assumption that a client was going to upgrade their mainframe next year. Right. Like unless you saw, okay, yeah, they're in contract negotiations with IBM. You know, that that was not a thing that was going to happen. Whereas you can kind of assume that, yeah, they're going to have a new, a new Windows server that they're going to float out there next year. And that's totally fine. <laughs> the other thing is, you know, we've got all these means of deploying things and updating things. We've got all this tech and that has changed the way that we approach our technical debt. We are not as careful about going into technical debt and doing things that can backfire because we can get out of it quicker. Essentially, you know, the fast deployment is mommy and daddy's money showing up to bail us out. You know, if I can, if I can change a piece of code and tomorrow it's out on every server on the planet that's running my software, I can afford to make some mistakes today. Whereas if it's not going to be out there for two years and it's going to be several million dollars to fix, I don't make those mistakes. Or if it's going up into the sky on a rocket, right? And so like there's, there's a lot of circumstances where people are more careful, but we've kind of got a taxonomy of technical debt now that is a bit broader and more ecosystemic looking. So guys, when we talk about technical debt, we do ourselves a disservice by simply dismissing it as debt, especially when we are talking to business people. While we often pat ourselves on the back because we're speaking their language, it doesn't help to speak anyone's language if you're using the wrong words. When trying to express technical debt, we really need to characterize it more carefully so that we express more than just the fact that there is debt. As an industry, we need to more clearly express what the costs the debt imposes, what risk it creates, and what value is created by it, if there is any. Also, the difficulty of getting rid of it needs to be in there. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I want to touch on something that uh, you know, I brought up before, and that is that previous developers will create a lot of problems for you in the way that you explain things. And technical debt is a perfect example of this. I have worked at companies where there were developers there previously who used the term technical debt frequently to refer to things that it was just code they didn't like. And it was fine for them while it lasted. The, the problem, though, was that they used this term a lot with management. And management 
basically came up with a definition of what technical debt really meant. And what it meant was the developer is whining. It didn't mean that, hey, this is a serious risk to the company. It didn't mean that, hey, this is slowing the entire team down and it's you know hamstringing our productivity. They took it to mean that, oh, the code's not as pretty as this you know really anal attentive person wants it to be. And so when you start talking to management about stuff, you need to be very, very careful to understand how they understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. It may not be the way you mean them. Uh, we've, you know, we're taught in communication classes that any piece of communication has got a sender, a receiver, and a transport channel, and it can go wrong in any of those places. Most developers don't seem to do a very good job of realizing that the manager that hears what you're saying may not be interpreting it in the same way that you are trying to send that out. Again, technical debt is a wonderful example of that simply because it's a term that developers understand a certain way and management thinks they understand when we say it. And those things are not necessarily equivalent. So be really, really careful about that and actually try to figure out what somebody understands when you say something, not what you understand. That's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.